Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Mesut Kwonga. Oh, he caught me off guard. I'm Ryan Hun. <laughs> Always off guard. <laughs> How are you, man? I'm very, very good. I'm very good indeed. They were both wearing hoodies. We are indeed. Hoodies all summer, as Kano said. Finally on the same side. Yeah, this week we're discussing... This week? I mean, this this half week. We're every three days now. This half week we're talking about the nemesis in football. Mm, we are. Everybody's got them. Exactly. Every football team... Every supporter, sorry, has got a player who seems to excel against their club, like they've got, yeah. it, like they've got it in for them. And I've got to, I've got to as well shout out Hashim Abdir Rashid. Shout out to Hashim, listening from Potsdam. I bumped into Hashim on one of my first walks in weeks around Berlin. Once they were easing the lockdown, I bumped into him next to the Berlin Wall, as you do, and he said you've got to talk about the nemesis on a Stadio podcast. And he said this because he said there was this one player who always used to score against us, Umit Davala, he said. And Umit Davala, my dislike for him, my intense dislike went so deep that even now, years after he's quit playing football, I check in on him on social media to see how his life is. It goes that deep. So th- thank you so much, Hashim. So I thought we'd talk about it today. Uh, well, we thought we'd talk about it. And um, we've had so many interesting responses on social media, on Twitter about this. Thanks so much for chipping in. Yeah, definitely. But um, before we get into the Nemesis stuff, I just want to say thanks to everyone who got in touch about the Wire episodes. Yeah. And if you haven't caught up with the Wire yet, or you're still kind of making your way through it, don't worry, it won't, it won't age. So you can go back and listen to them whenever. So, Nemesis. (laughs) (laughs) This is hilarious. The thing that I find really funny about this was that you posted a tweet. So we didn't do it from the Stadio Twitter account this week. We did it from yours and retweeted. Yeah. Yeah. And (laughs) all the replies to your tweet just gradually became a like a group therapy session. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, my name's Ryan. I've had a nemesis. Yeah, exactly. One of the most common themes, I think, through all of the replies were from Arsenal fans. Oh my God. Arsenal fans. And then there was West. It was funny. The most common replies were from Arsenal fans, but exactly the same kind of comment came from West Ham fans. Yeah. It was so interesting how certain clubs, without giving too much away before we get into the the spirit of the conversation, certain clubs feel as if they are identified. (laughs) Well, there there was a great one from Alan the Toffee who just said, dude, I'm an Everton fan. That is a long ass list. (laughs) People have really suffered. And I actually said that. I said, you know, basically every footballer ever as an Arsenal fan at some point. Yeah, that's true, actually. What we could have really done with doing for this, and I did think about this, was to get some stats on people who had actually scored the most against certain clubs because it would back up the nemesis yeah. statistically. But then there was part of me that thought, actually, I think it's more fun in a way if it's kind of incorrect because it's, that means it's just the mental side of it has overtaken the factual side. That is what a true nemesis is. It's like, even if they don't do any damage to you, they've got you. In your head. Because of previous. Yeah, exactly. And I want, to read, I want to read out one that was not related to a professional footballer or a club. So shouts to Justin Salhani, who is Mr. Gorilla FC. And uh, he said, honestly, my nemesis was always Mr. Jib Jabs on Twitter, which is Hani Jaber. And he said, because somehow his teams would always beat mine by the flukiest goal. And then he talked shit for a month. <laughs> and then Hani replied saying, you spent years in my shadow and now I've spent years in your mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. That is the definition of a nemesis. 
real estate. That is living rent free. That, that is that is that is terrifying. <laughs> See that right there is the definition of a nemesis. That's it, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Something's in your absolutely. Head. Yeah. Yeah. I almost feel like a nemesis has to have it in for you though at some level. So I think becoming a nemesis is learned behaviour. It doesn't start with an initial grudge. Right. I think that a nemesis, it's like they get a taste. Yes. And they get another taste. Right. And then all of a sudden, they smell the fear in the opposition. Thank for you. Probably no real reason. You know, for example, like, why the hell is the Arsenal defence constantly terrified by Shane Long? Absolutely. Because time and time again, he will pop up with, and someone actually mentioned this, he will pop up with one of his two goals a season against Arsenal. And that's what it is. But I think you, is you smell the feel like you have like a Chicharito, Javier Hernandez uh, against Chelsea, mm. which is score against Chelsea regularly. And there's, you can sense it. It's, it's the aura. You can sense when the enemy's already defeated. Uh, there's actually a great one from Connor Garrett. This is brilliant. At Connor Garrett on Twitter. Depending on how niche you want to go, I'm a Swindon fan. And we once had a guy called Alex Ravel on loan who was okay, but never pulled up any trees. He has gone on to have a long career at various lower league clubs, meaning he plays against Swindon most seasons and always scores. Here's the other thing. When you play Conor Garrett in Football Manager as Swindon, he scores against Swindon. (laughs) It's unbelievable. He's like, yeah, he scores against us in Football Manager as well. Like everywhere he plays against them. That's incredible. That follow-up to it was amazing. He said, I think it's something like nine goals in 13 games at this point. Not just that, but he always does a job against us on Football Manager or FIFA saves as well. Given his record otherwise, it amazes me how he becomes an elite striker against us. Being a nemesis is a bit like, do you know how there's parts of town that your favourite walk or your favourite bar, your favourite nightclub, you end up just stumbling into it? It's like that. There are some football stadiums where players just feel at home. There's something about the environment, the energy that makes you feel, actually, like, like Michael Jordan, Madison Square Garden. I think Michael Jordan enjoyed the occasion of the Knicks. He enjoyed spoiling the party. And there's got to be that element. I think it's not entirely subconscious. I think there's an element where the footballer involved that scores the goals, has the big performance, enjoys ruining the party. Hmm. Um, John Collins would mention this. I did an interview with him many years ago, 2007, actually, when I was writing my first book about football. And he said, his one, I said what's your favourite part about football? What's your favourite thing? And this is a guy that's played everywhere. He's played with Henri, he's played with Trezeguet, he's played against Zidane. What's your favourite memory? And he said, scoring in front of tens of thousands of fans in their stadium. And the silence, he says, the, the pain and the silence. And his face looked nasty when he said, he was like, yeah, that's the best. You just, oh. And I thought, wow, this is an act of cruelty. This is a kind of, <laughs> people pay good like, He's already dead. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> I, was like, I saw the look in his eyes was like, I suddenly realized that professional footballers spend half their careers in hostile environments, right? You spend half your career yeah. away from home. Yeah. So actually you will thrive on that. You will thrive on that. You'll be smelling, you'll be looking out your nose. You know, like when a Labrador walks into a park and has like a thousand new smells. And you know, in your case, you mentioned the smell is fear. Footballers walk into new environments, feral environments every week. And they're just, their nostrils are looking for it. And some of them find it. It's like I said before, it doesn't really start from anything, but then it kind of just rolls and rolls and rolls really easily. So the more that that person will score against that side, the more that the opposition fans will hate them. Yeah. And therefore the nemesis will start getting more shit from the fans because like the amount of shit that Drogba used to get from Arsenal fans. And, right. and as an Arsenal fan, I used to hate Drogba. Really, really, really dislike him. But now kind of stepping back, you know, obviously I love the guy. It becomes a little bit more sweeter. Yeah. every time they score because the fans get a little bit more it's like 
this guy again. Yes, exactly. Not this guy again. <laughs> and it's just a never-ending kind of thing. It's like a train hurtling down the track and it's like nothing is going to stop it. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse and the myth is going to build and build and build. And it's like I said before, even if statistically it doesn't really match up, it doesn't need to. The true nemesis doesn't have to be the person who scored the most goals against your club. Yeah. It doesn't actually matter. It's the way he comes up. And of course, we've mentioned this this dynamic before on this podcast and we'll just go on it very briefly but there's there's also there's also the the rare type of nemesis where you follow <laughs> you follow the player from club to club so obviously Messi you know Paolo's, Paolo Lopez left Espanyol but then Messi still came for him and he was at Betis sometimes it's not what they do against you it's how they do it so it's not that they beat you it's that they they expose you or humiliate you in a certain way um, and I, I always thought Drogba was interesting because I went to a game actually where Drogba scored twice, I think. It was Chelsea-Arsenal at Stamford Bridge. And I think Drogba scored twice in the first half when it was Lampard and Balak just running midfield. I mean, I've just never seen a midfield bully like that. And Drogba just looks two feet taller than every other player on the pitch. I mean, he probably was, to be honest, because at the time, the average height of that Arsenal side was about <laughs> five foot five. <laughs> and I think this is the thing about that era of Chelsea versus Arsenal, when Arsenal went deep into Project Youth and Chelsea were, you know, into the... Well, it was kind of just pre- Project Youth, wasn't it really? Because, I mean, when did Drogba sign? For- yeah, so he signed in 2004. So there was the two years at Highbury. Yeah. And then obviously he didn't leave till 2012. So by that time, Arsenal were deep into Project Youth. Omri had gone. Van Persie was on the way out. Fabregas had gone. Nasri had gone. Everyone had gone to Man City at that yeah. point, or Barcelona. Oh, yeah, goodness. And that Chelsea side was huge and powerful. It was very, very similar, I think, in terms of um, makeup actually to the Invincibles. You know, we spoke about this before that technically gifted, a little bit of edge, a bit nasty, but could play some really, really brilliant football. I, th- I don't think they were as fluid and exciting to watch as the Invincibles. No. But if you think about it, you know, the big guys in midfield, technically good. Big guys up front, technically good. Big guys at the back, technically good. Great goalkeeper. And you know, at the time, Arsenal might have had our Shavin playing out left, who's, oh my goodness. you know, five foot six or something like that. So that was an, another element to the nemesis thing about Drogba. And I know we've kind of pondered on Drogba a little bit, and I don't want to make this too Arsenal-centric. Because if we were going to go through Arsenal's nemesis, we'd need a 25-part podcast, and they'd all be an hour and a half long. <laughs> and, and we'd HBO still only series. get half of them. Yeah. HBO series. Get David Simon involved to do the nemesis. Yes. Just- <laughs> Dude, that's literally the Barcelona football team. Honestly, yeah. I, I said to a friend, I said, Barcelona needs to be an HBO series. No football at all, just boardroom, just fans, just bars, just restaurants. That would be ridiculous. Well, that's a lovely segue, Moussa Akwonga. <laughs> because we had one from FCB Football Blog on Twitter, just says, who's obviously a Barcelona fan, writes a Barcelona blog, Isaiah. <laughs> Our nemesis is Bartomeu. Oh my God. Barcelona's <laughs> own president is their nemesis. Barcelona fans have suffered. Oh, do you know, actually, fun, there was one around that time as well, by um, around that point in the thread, there was another great nemesis from Fede Pramel. Shout out to Fede. Oh yeah, I was just about to read that one, actually. Uh, go, you read it, you read it, go on, go on. He said, I'm a River Plate fan, grew up in the 90s, 2000s, endured Martin Palermo's full career against us. What amazes me is the level of respect and general fondness I have for the guy. Him and Raquel May loved them to bits. Do you know what's funny? I actually meant I actually looked up the um Martin Palermo because I remember that and I'm not even a River fan. Mm. I'm not, I looked up the stat, it's eighteen goals in thirty-two matches. Wow. 
and they play obviously quite, they have the opening and the closing tournaments. They're playing all the time. It's constant, like 18 and 32. And I had a look at some of the goals and they're like, Palermo was just so physically powerful. He was like a kind of South American Christian Vieri, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It was just overwhelming physically. So he was someone who, you know, they come in shapes and sizes in their Messies. You know, like you've got Sergio Aguero for Manchester United. It's kind of like the evil sprite or the Hobbit gone bad. Like, you know, Aguero, is just, he's there, but he's not physically overwhelming. Whereas Palermo quite literally casts a shadow. Mm. Uh, got, this is a good one from James Corbett. He said, for Everton, there were a few Everton ones, actually. He said, for Everton, it's Frank Lampard. Junior oh, wow. not only scored just about every time he played against Everton, he also got the winner in the 2009 FA Cup final and his bloody father scored the winner in the 1980 FA Cup semi-final. <laughs> <laughs> he just inherited the nemesis. It's got, it got passed down. <laughs> that is, that's an intergenerational nemesis. Keeping it in the family. Can you imagine the horror of a time traveller in 1980 going, not only is this exquisitely painful, one day, <laughs> 20 odd years from now, the child will emerge <laughs> and score the winner in the cup final against you. <laughs> oh, this is amazing. amazing. So um, this one from Riley Cullum on Twitter says, at West Ham, our nemesis is called the opposition number nine. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was... Carmel Ahmad said, any, our nemesis is any striker who hasn't scored for 20 games. Do you want to take a quick break before we move on to some other ones? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, we're back from the break. And while Moose is taking a swig... Non-alcoholic this week. That's right. I only drink now on Instagram Live. That's my new rule. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Shouts to everyone who joined us on Instagram Live on Friday. That was fun. No shouts to my relatives who came on to troll me. <laughs> <laughs> Moose was getting absolutely trolled by... Was it Your cousin was in there and your sister. Two cousins and a sister. Oh, wow. Got destroyed. And then they came on and to you, walk. And you were talking about how great this wine was and you were hyping it up so much. And then I was just like, wow, how much was it? You were like, four euros. <laughs> <laughs> Bargain basement. Typically, I bought it to cook with. I thought to get a cheap one to cook with. Then ended up drinking because it was really tasty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to reel a few quick ones before we get back into some. Yep, sure. This one from Oz Katagy. He said, do you remember when Sunderland's Ji Dong Wung couldn't stop scoring against Man City. Those matches were hilarious. That's the sentence that kills it for me. But yeah, there were a few, weren't there? It's weird how those kind of players always pop up against big teams. See, that, someone actually said, one of the tweets we got, one of the replies was, that to me is the true nemesis, that player who isn't actually that special, but always finds the extra reserve. Mm. That's like a, sort of a true, like, you know, an evil spirit that comes for you because you could argue someone like Aguero just scores against everyone so is he really a nemesis because he does it against yeah. everyone but to me it's about reserving special treatment that to me is the key like well like like Luis Suarez and Norwich that's a good example Luis Suarez went above and beyond against Norwich like mm. because it wasn't just the goals I've watched quite a few of I mean I've watched all the Luis Suarez goals against Norwich and here's the wild thing about them about eight of them could have been goal of the month and in one yeah. occasion, he scores four in a game against Norwich and three could easily have been goal of the month contenders. We had that from Dan, actually. He said, Luis Suarez scored 12 goals in just six games against Norwich City, including hat-tricks in three of them. 
as if that's not bad enough, some of them were masterpieces. Thank God he moved to Spain. That's true. You know, it's funny. He was so bad to Norwich. Even I noticed it. You know, like you don't, when you're a football fan, even someone like myself that watches a lot of games and like yourself, you know, you, you can't pick up on all the nuances of what's happening every week. But the Luis Suarez thing was so bad against Norwich. You could see it from space. I, I, yeah. re- I think there are passing, there are passing aliens that were like, hey man, what's this? What's with the Suarez guy? <laughs> like there's some beef going down there. Yeah, exactly. You could see it. You just, you just saw one corner of the world flashing yellow and green. <laughs> I do wonder if there's recency bias involved in a lot of the Nemesis stuff though, and whether anyone is actually truly a Nemesis, you know, bar the odd few. I don't know if it is recency bias because it goes, do you know why I say it's not? Because some of those replies we got went so deep. People are carrying Oh, on. and they exploded, man. Like it was, it was like ev- everyone's been dying to talk about this right. for ages. Look, when I saw Hashim in the park, Hashim was like, you've got to talk about Umit Diwala, he said. Mm. I don't even know. You know, it's one of those ones where like, you know, when the pain is so long ago, you don't want to like pry too much into it. So I didn't even, out of respect to Hashim, I didn't do much research because I was like, I don't want to know what this guy did to you or your team, but it was clearly so scarring. He said, Musa, years later, years later, I check in him on social media. I mean, that's, <laughs> imagine carrying that for that long. I don't think it ever heals. It doesn't, it can't. I think the fact that they retire or move on without your team ever being able to fully get revenge or flip the script, it means it never actually, there's no closure. No closure. There's never a closure on a footballing nemesis, ever. No, none. Because that moment in time, it's like you were enjoying that beautiful day out. Mm. You were having such a lovely day and you'd plan on such nice things. And you thought, oh, there's, there's not a cloud in the sky, but there's just a hint of something. There, there could be a downpour and that, that's what they are. They're that, they're that downpour and they come and the worst thing is you're afraid of them. Mm. You're fearing their arrival. I was talking to a friend. He said, um, actually, this is back in the day. He's a Spurs fan. And he said there were certain players that would turn up and the crowd would just there'd be a silence because no one wanted to like upset them more than they already were. There was a sense in the crowd that this player had a thing against them. If they said anything too dramatic, that player would then zoom in and target them. So they were like deferential almost. There was one from Paul Panel on Twitter about this. He said, as a Spurs fan, the list is getting longer the more I think about it. I think that's the same for any club though. Fans will always focus on those negative sides. We all do it. Yeah, so he said, the list is getting longer the more I think about it, but Perez has to be a shout just because it was them. Perez used to really turn it on against Spurs, actually. Henri loved it. There are certain things with a derby, I have to say. It's funny because in England, we talk about the English game uh, and how a lot of foreigners don't get it. I think what's so interesting is those foreign players who do get it in quote marks. So Sergio Aguero clearly loves the Manchester derby. Robert mm. Perez and Thierry Henry and Patrick Vieira absolutely loved the North yeah. Island. Like they, they genuinely, um, Fabregas loved it. And this is the thing, these are people who yeah. you're like, how do they, how do they get it? How do they like enjoy it? Like, you know, the old firm derby, Mark Haightley loved it. Mark Walters, some of the greatest performances in that fixture, the most passionate performances and Paul Gascon as well, have come from people who have no prior connection to the conflict. And it is a conflict. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of that, there's one here that I really like from Michael DeLuca. He said, in the MLS, Toronto FC consistently failed to contain Columbus's Federico Higuain, who's Gonzalo's brother. He said, penalty kicks, goal mouth scrambles, chips from outside the 18-yard box, you name it. He's been scoring against us since his pre-ball days and continues it <laughs> and continues to in his fully ball days. Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> That's torture, isn't it? Someone can start being a nemesis with a full head of hair 
go bald and still be causing that much trauma. <laughs> There's a hot take for you. This is actually the third episode of our Wire podcast. <laughs> and it's it's about Omar. <laughs> it's about Omar. <laughs> We've just made an entire podcast about the concept of Omar being a nemesis. In the Everybody's project. got an Omar. Everyone's got an Omar. Omar is coming for all of you. Yeah, if you think about it, Omar was everyone's nemesis. He was, and he had a specific theme. He was everyone's nemesis. He was in everyone's head rent-free. He -hmm. was a myth as much as he was a real figure. People throw the stash to him before he even asked for it. They throw the drug stash before he asked for it. And his name, and this is the thing, his name rang out. This is the thing, a a true nemesis, your name has to ring out. Like You have to be reputed you can't just turn up and get a couple of goals it's got to actually be a thing where like the shane long thing you were saying Mm. the shadow has to grow longer than the actual reality here's a great one as well mark holford let me read this quickly mark holford at m holford uk on twitter as a birmingham city fan there are three nemeses that spring immediately to mind that always score against us joe lolly who was also a villa fan matt smith his dad played for us and is a a birmingham city supporter and lloyd dyer who actually played on loan for us, <laughs> maybe to stop him scoring against us. <laughs> God, these are wonderful. These are so good. They're so great. This is a really good tweet from um, ST Roberts 2 on Twitter. He said, a true nemesis isn't even that good. I like this theory, but yep. still always manages to score against you. For some reason, I remember Man City's Paul Walsh always scoring against us, brackets Villa. Lately, Troy Deeney seems to be enjoying the extra edge when he plays against us too. Oh, and Darius Vassell as an ex-villain. I like that theory about players who aren't actually that good because it's like you said, maybe Drogba was too good yeah. to actually be classed as a nemesis. Because he does it to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what's funny about this? Because I think actually Troy Deeney has definitely got big nemesis energy. Oh, for real. You can yeah. sense it's a thing, it's a thing, it's a thing. This one as well from James Lawson. Most of the world-class players had great goal-scoring records against Sunderland, Suarez in particular. But Tim Cahill knocking us out of an FA Cup semi-final and then scoring again and again against us for Everton hurt badly. See, Tim Cahill, I think, falls into the sweet spot of being that kind of nemesis. That's a really good shout, actually. That's a, yeah. it's, it's funny because someone else, someone wrote to me and um, they were going, like, greatest ever Premier League players. And Tim Cahill was somehow in the mix. And I said, no, Tim Cahill just had a long career with a lot of yeah. distinguished moments and a really good career. Like he was like what you call an excellent pro, like a solid pro. To me, he wasn't a, like a, a, an elite player. He wasn't Gary Speed, for example, you know, Gary Speed, mm. like rest his soul. But I think you're right. Cahill raised it for certain people. Oh, here's another one I didn't clock before. It's so funny when you hear from like fans overseas or fans in Germany at like this, Inzaghi and Bayern Munich. Yeah. That was awful. Apparently that was a real thing. Someone said we used to fear it and he always came for us. Well, another one overseas from Serie A, Frank Sidekick, said Fabio Quagliarella against Napoli. Although with all the history and him being a hometown boy, we don't mind when he scores Galazzos against us every time. Then they put a gif in of that amazing backheel volley. Do you know what I love about Sam. that? What I love about that is he always scored gorgeous goals as well. Like if you watched his highlight oh, film. Yeah, Quagliarella scores some amazing goals. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. I'm going to read this one off from... Kamil Ahmed, he said, Romelu Lukaku against West Ham, full stop. Every striker on a dry run at West Ham. <laughs> <laughs> and then this is a brilliant one from Ben Houghton on Twitter. This made me laugh so much. Les Ferdinand would score a hat-trick today against Everton if he came in as a sub in the 90th minute with two twisted ankles. 
This is the thing. <laughs> Everton fans, and there's an Everton fan in the world who is still that terrified of Les Ferdinand now. That's people the true sit- nemesis. People are sitting here waiting to be asked to discuss this. Yeah. I like this one from Matthew Cooper. He said, I dread every time Mitrovic plays against Derby. Well, he was in our unplayables, wasn't he, Mitrovic? Actually, ne- a lot of the ne- there's a big, big crossover between the unplayables and Nemesis, I think. There's an argument. They're actually, the, I think maybe that sweet spot, the sweet spot of unplayable and Nemesis and that bit in the middle, whatever mm. it's called, the overlap, that's, that's the one. There's another Fulham player here mentioned by Anya Green. She said, an emerging Cardiff Nemesis is Ryan Sessignon, obviously now at Spurs. Yeah. Scored his first league goal against us, then on his FA Cup debut, then in another two or three games after that. It's really funny how those certain players, I, I had no idea about that, Ryan Sessignon and Cardiff. What is it? I mean, then again, I think, I think it's like, uh, not to get too many, too many personal examples in, but whether they're not particular teams or environments or, time, or types of playing surface where you played, where you just liked, you know, when you, you know, you're a midfielder, so you like playing passes on a certain surface or you like the way the team plays against you because the way that they play allows you to play football, if that makes sense. Mm. I mean, with, with, there's an element of that. I'm not sure, you know. Maybe there's something about the nemesis that being in a, like, it's like you were talking about John Collins before, you know, being in an intimidating environment and causing damage to that intimidating environment or diffusing it or like almost like popping the balloon yes that's probably a real adrenaline rush because it's not something that they are used to doing maybe as a true nemesis which is why maybe we were saying before that a nemesis probably shouldn't be that great or one of the very very top tier of football but i think this is actually interesting ryan because you know one thing that Thierry Henry gets criticized a lot for is his record of scoring in cup finals or not Mm. scoring as the case may be whereas someone like drogba always, well, almost always seem to score in big cup finals. And there's a lot of things that go into that. Partly you could mention that, you know, Drogba is a conventional nine. He played right down the middle. Henri tended to come from the wing. And there's a lot of tactical reasons why you could say Henri didn't score because a lot of the games when he didn't score, he was creating space for those who did. I do think there is something interesting though about the randomness. I think what this nemesis thing highlights as a subject is the randomness of a lot of big matches, right? It is actually quite random if you think about it. Like, you know, I don't think that Henri is any less a great player because he did not score in so many of those games. Because, for example, the World Cup final 2006, he was absolutely brilliant. Arguably yeah. the only player apart from Zidane that really brought it for France. But it's all the more remarkable when somebody like a Palermo finds their rhythm mm. in a match like that. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's one here that um, Kunle Ajayo, shouts to Kunle. He said, not my nemesis, but David Nugent against Ipswich seemed to happen every time. Even his first England goal came at Ipswich's ground. (laughs) Home from home. Another one from Rich from Peru, Sheffield Wednesday fan, and a drummer as well. Shout out to Rich, long time follower. And um, Rich was saying that Jordan Rhodes. Oh, really? Well, Jordan Rhodes was a huge goal scorer. Like Huddersfield, I mean, I think he excelled primarily at Huddersfield, but did pretty well at Brentford too. I think he was the the youngest ever scorer of a hat-trick at Brentford mm. and scores four goals against Sheffield Wednesday in a four-all draw. I had to check this out. And then Sheffield Wednesday sign him and he goes, and, and, and Rich is like, he basically turned someone's dad that won a competition and he barely scores for Sheffield Wednesday. Wow. That, that is, he, he, went on, he went off loan somewhere after that. And like, that is so bizarre, isn't it? When you go into the place where you are the threat and everyone's really excited 
and you can't do it. Yeah, you can't. Re- it's that, not the same. What does that do psychologically? This attests to what we were saying about the level, maybe. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And the conditions have to grow to a point that yeah, you can't think about becoming a nemesis before you become one. In order to become one, I don't think you can't say I'm going to do that side damage. I don't think it works that way. No, and what the, the other way I think it works as well. Can I be honest with you? Is the reason why I think the nemesis is so fascinating. If you think about football, the evolution of a player's career, there's only players that are one season wonders, right? Because people work out what you like doing. Defenders are so smart. They've always been smart. Mm. They work you out after, after six months to a year, they work you out. You know, you can argue that even before a lot of great players got their injuries and started declining, they'd already been declining because they didn't have more tricks. Mm. And the interesting thing about the nemesis, I mean, the guy at Toronto, for example, against Toronto, was fa- Iguain's brother. What's fascinating with that is he finds new ways to hurt you or he or she finds new ways to hurt you. There's always a way that they can adapt. And you should be able, after years of watching someone, and I know Messi doesn't count, but that's what's remarkable about the nemesis because Messi's got so many tools, he's going to hurt you anyway. Mm. But the nemesis generally, the average nemesis generally doesn't have more than one. <laughs> it's generally just that thing. It's generally just like, ah, oh, it's going to be a far post header because that's what they do. <laughs> and yet somehow they keep doing it. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of, it might sound like I'm making this up as I go along, but the more I think about it, the more I think that the nemesis, like for example, Messi doesn't care who he does damage to. Yeah. He just does damage, unless it's Real. But I think that the nemesis has to exist outside of the context of a derby. Okay, yeah. yeah I mean, it doesn't enough. have to, but I think that's where the really intriguing ones come. Think about it with Arsenal-Man United with Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger. That peak rivalry. Two great sides going head-to-head with great players. So Ruud van Nistelrooy, Wayne Rooney, players like that are going to do damage to you. I don't think that really makes them nemesis, even though that's not a derby game, but that was such a big rivalry at the time that it was basically a derby. Had the energy of a yeah, derby. Yeah, it really did. Yeah. It was the, the season often depended on the momentum caused by the results in those games. That's and they right. were so big. Like I, I think we spoke about this before, but that rivalry was so intense that I used to wake up on the morning of those games feeling sick, like feeling physically sick. But I think it's more of the, you know, why does the guy who plays for Bournemouth always score against Everton you know why is that the thing why does that happen yeah that particular dynamic exactly yeah and it's that and that's the like this one is a great example um from Benny Blanco on Twitter recently Aaron Moy seems to turn into Kevin De Bruyne whenever he plays Wolves yes (laughs) (laughs) and I think he's carried that from Huddersfield to Brighton so that's interesting when players move clubs and continue doing the damage against the club that they originally did at their previous. That's really interesting for me. And it's so, it's so weird. You know, it's when you're cooking. So I was cooking this morning, right? And I was using ingredients together I'd never used. And for some reason they worked. And I think that's what it is. I think sometimes random combinations just click Mm. and they stay clicking. And I I do think it is the type of football that the teams play against you. Like if you play against Wolves, what do Wolves do? Wolves basically are a footballing team. They give you room. Aaron Moy is a playmaker, right? So he enjoys that room. You look at like, um, not that I can give, a th- I can discern a theory for all this stuff, but if we use the Drogba thing to an extent, that was basically a point where Arsenal had like Senderos. And that's really sad because Senderos was actually a very good player and encountered Drogba in a formative period. When Drogba signed for Chelsea, Arsenal's centre-back pairing was Colo Torre and Sol Campbell. Wasn't Senderos there for a bit though? I mean, yes, yeah, Senderos was there for a bit. I know, but what my point was that like Drogba encountered Senderos at a point when Senderos wasn't fully mature as a player. 
And that's really bad as a formative experience because it, I think it did damage him. I think people... Does that makes sense. Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's that. I know we've we've harped about this for a little bit with the Chelsea Arsenal Drogba thing, but I think that dynamic was really interesting because when that Chelsea side was developing, they were a very physically and technically imposing Arsenal side, yeah. which became smaller, younger, less experienced every year from then on. Past two thousand six, each season they lost part of that great side, replaced it with youth, yeah. moved to a new stadium, a new environment an unfamiliar home. Yeah. You know, if you're on a computer game and you start playing, uh, say, say for example, you're playing FIFA and you put yeah. the difficulty level up really, really high and you get used to playing that level and then one game you'll knock it down one and then the next game you'll knock it down another bit and it just becomes so easy. <laughs> yeah. That whole period of Chelsea, Arsenal, Drogbird, it kind of reminds me of that in a way. No, fair enough. When they kind of, you know, actually this is really sad when teams are, and this is separate to the subject of this podcast, but there is always something really sad about a, a team because, you know, transition's inevitable. There's always something really sad about the end of that period of the two teams dominating where one team, for whatever reason, normally it's just age or the end of a cycle, falls off mm-hmm. a bit because it robs, it robs the game and the season of such an important storyline. And one thing I want to talk about while I'm still on this point about the nemesis and all the rest of it, you know that old cliche in football how they say it's just three points? The game is just three points. The derby no, is just three points. Ain't. You made that great point about how the good point, the echo mm. effect, you know, the echo effect of certain games, and not just the butterfly effect, but the echo effect of a particular loss, a particular defeat, lasts several games. You can say, you could argue that with Liverpool, it happened before the season was paused. Certain defeats really, really hurt them. I think Watford really hurt them, for example, had a knock on effect. I think visibly had an effect. And I think the strength of, the strength of Manchester United at their peak was that they could lose what six, three and five nil in the same season and still mm. win the league. And the ability to walk away from is the ability to walk away from huge defeats and not take them personally. And I think that may be the big, the defining trait of a great athlete. Does that make sense? Like, you know, the tennis player can, a tennis player can lose a set six, one and win in four sets. Yeah. You need to be able to be absolutely destroyed and turn around. I think it's perhaps the defining trait of a great athlete, especially in sports like basketball, baseball, football as well, to an extent where the games are just so frequent. I'd agree with that. I think that that's the difference between really, really good football teams and really, really great elite level teams, that they don't allow things to roll. And Ferguson was notorious for this at Manchester United. And would use defeats like that as a reality check. And sometimes actually you find that some coaches quite enjoy the odd defeat in a way because it helps the squad focus. Looping this back into the nemesis thing, I think that sometimes nemeses are born out of complacency within an opposition. You know, Arsenal Crystal Palace the last couple of years at home, prime example. Um, Liverpool Crystal Palace for a while. Watford Manchester United. Yeah, a complacent, like being bitten once due to complacency which triggers something in that opposition and then they come back and bite you again. And, and once you've got that, I mean, Arsenal at Stoke was a prime example. I know I'm kind of using a lot of Arsenal references here, but God, there's a lot of them. <laughs> then it becomes psychological. The first time something might happen and you don't know what it is and it's a, it's a fluke and you might try and forget it, but they haven't. And they use that same energy again to do it again. Energy. Oh my God. It is, man. It's like... The big number is it's, it's like... The dark forces. Doing some kind of like nemesis Hadouken. <laughs> What's that? 
there's a famous um, South American story. It's a true story about <laughs> one team would get a witch doctor to bury <laughs> to bury a frog beneath the pitch before the game. I love shit like this. I, it's absolutely incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And I think sometimes you look at certain teams in certain games, you're thinking, I don't want to sound dramatic, but someone's buried a frog there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, here's another one before I forget. I know we're not talking about personal stories. I mean, this was really about nemeses from senior football clubs, but this one was so good that I had to put it in. This is an exception. It's from at PhD Femme on Twitter, Pikachu Nefesh. And applying to my question saying, well, actually, there's one from high school. There were kids from rival teams who used to destroy us every time and then beat us at regionals. She said, Abby Kennedy from Hotchkiss, if you're reading this, if you're listening to this, that ball was out of bounds and you know it. <laughs> and I replied, I replied and I said, I love, I love how we cling on to bitterness. And she replied, she said, she knows what she did. I'm 42. So high school was only a couple of decades ago. <laughs> I think... We saved the best for last. We did. It's so good. It's so good, isn't it? Abby Kennedy from Hotchkiss, you know what you did. That's hilarious. So good. So good. Oh, man. The nemesis. Something we all have. We've all had it. And something we will never forget. The member of the extended family. They're so close to us, yet so far away. Uh, thanks to everyone again who submitted their nemeses. We know how painful that must have been for <laughs> all of you. And again, thanks to everyone who's given us really nice feedback on The Wire. Check us out on Twitter at Stadio, on Instagram, Stadio Football, the website stadio.football. Do you want to do the Apple read, Musa? Yeah, if you listen on Apple, please give us a review, a rating, and preferably a five-star review. It really helps to grow the podcast. And we're going to be back on Thursday. That's right, yeah. I've lost all track of days. Me too. Hey, we'll also be doing an Instagram Live again soon, I'm sure, because they were fun. Instagram Live. Yeah, yeah, we should do. Yeah, Yeah, why not? Why not? Uh, we're playing out this week on Tony Allen, Hustler. The great Tony Allen passed away a few days ago. Massive musical hero of ours. And uh, yeah, we're going to leave you on this one. And we hope you're all safe and well. And we'll be back on Thursday. Take it easy. Let's do a clear of nemesis. <laughs> oh, oh, oh.